One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Oh my God, don't you know I'm a Cajun? It's about Chris in your area. In my area. Yes, you guessed it. We're going to talk about K-pop today. And K-pop's been such a large part of our lives. And it really does feel like for the last 15 years, it started to become more and more a part of the Gaijin club life. And it's a huge part of it now. Donja, when did you first discover K-pop, actually? I first had a bunch of crushes on J-pop stars, the precursors, in the late 90s. It wasn't an, a, something I knew much about because it was pre-internet. And I had to flip through CDs at Tower Records. <laughs> and then when I started doing drag, you know, with an all-Asian drag troupe, I got a K-Pop 101 course because we had to freaking perform them. And I had to learn Nobody by 21. And the choreography got me hating K-Pop so hard. What about you? Girl, 21 did not sing Nobody. Look <laughs> How did I already get that wrong? It's it's the Wonder Girls. Wonder Girls! Let me test your knowledge further. Oh, God. Name all four Blackpink members. Um, oh, shit. Isn't it like fucking like Mincy, Cloud, <laughs> Red, and Blue? I, I, I mean, like, I, I, I can't pronounce anybody's names. Like, <laughs> You're like not even close. You're not I thought there close. were five people. I thought there were five people. <laughs> There's four girls. Oh my god. Well, obviously we don't know what we're talking about at all. So I think if we're going to talk about K-pop and not get canceled, we should bring in other people who do know their shit. So let's just, just get let's just get started. <laughs> let's roll the intro music. Literally Gaijin. Literally Gaijin. It's literally Gaijins, the podcast where two Asian guys who know very little about K-pop get real about their feelings and literally Gaijin stuff. Anyang, I'm Chris, and this is my co-host and fellow canceled K-pop star, Bao. <laughs> Sangheyo, bitches. We're going to talk about K-pop. I was a little nervous to talk about K-pop because, well, as we all know, Already, I don't know anything about it. I can hardly pronounce the names of the groups, let alone know all the names of the singers. Many years ago, I got looks when I first said 2NE1 because I didn't know you were <laughs> supposed to say 21. 
<laughs> you don't even know what song 21 sang. You thought they sang, oh, they sang nobody. <laughs> clearly I don't. Clearly. And I mean, I'm not that much better. I mean, I used to walk around like really snooty about it and say, like, I just don't get K-pop. And one of my friends actually made a playlist to convince me to like it. And it actually kind of worked. That friend is actually one of our guests on the episode this week. Uh, so we invited him and two other K-pop fans to talk about K-pop's place in queer Asian life. That's us. And our personal favorites and unpopular opinions on k-pop yes light up the stands girls let's just get into it and meet our guests okay i'm so excited uh and scared of having our k-pop stand friends on here to judge me because already when i fucked up earlier i saw them all just like just rolling their eyes at me it was so bad but hello friends hi friends hi do better don't you (laughs) <laughs> I felt hate crimed earlier, just to be clear. <laughs> okay, so let's get to it. Introduce your name and your favorite K-pop act and most obsessive thing you've done as a K-pop stan. Hi, I'm Steve. Um, my favorite K-pop group is a little group called Dreamcatcher. And... It's not a thing I did as a stand, but I would say like the uh, the bizarre situation I found myself in when it came to anything K-pop related was uh, right out of college. My first job was working for uh, a Korean company that put on uh, K-pop concerts in the U.S. And this is just as groups like uh, Girls' Generation and Wonder Girls were taking off and we had managed to book one of them. Or so I thought until like debt collectors started showing up at the office and all my paychecks bounced and I realized, oh shit, this is a scam. Oh, no. <laughs> oh my god. That's my K-pop story. That's why I love it. Can't get enough. Scam me more. Oh, you're not a K-pop stan. You got K-pop scammed. Oh, oh <laughs> Darren, how about you? Uh, hi, my name is Darren, and my favorite K-pop act of all time would be Girls' Generation. Um, they were the one who got me sucked into K-pop in 2009 with their hit song G. I think only K-pop then who were from second generation will understand why it was so popular back in the day. Before them, I was really into J-pop. I didn't know Boa was Korean, and she's like the queen of k-pop right she started well i don't want to get into that but like she she was like she was she's a big deal in korea and i didn't know she was she was k-pop because i used to listen to anime music and she was in one of my favorite anime called inuyasha and she sang the soundtrack to the ending of one of the seasons and so i fell in love with her and then suddenly 2009 came my high school friend showed me girls generation and we were in college and i was i wasn't into it because too cutesy but the hook ggg was in my head 24 7 <laughs> since that day <laughs> <laughs> And that's how, I, that's how I got into K-pop. And the most obsessive thing I'd done as a K-pop stand was I memorized all their legal names. Like uh, in Girls' Relation, there's Sunny. That's the stage name. But her legal name is, is Lee sung And then Tiffany. And her legal name is Stephanie Huang. So I memorized all their 
their stage names, their birthdays, favorite colors, and all this crap. Their birthdays? Yeah. Wow. I was like obsessed when I got hooked into them. And one of them is made red and blue, right? Totally. Totally, <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, like uh, a note about Darren's love of K-pop. Like before the pandemic, I think I was at like an afters, like an after hours. Oh my god! And I remember, I remember you, Darren's, being in the corner to like the circuit music, oh after god. hours house music, doing K-pop choreo. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's dancing differently. I'm like, wait, he's, I think he's doing. K-pop this is choreo. a dark room, man. This is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was doing to twice as feel special at her afters. <laughs> so I remember weird. exactly what Corey you were doing two years ago. Oh my god! Well, that, that, that's when the song was big, um, <laughs> and um, and we 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 kind of look into your subconscious, which is all K-pop. Um, wait, one thing about Steve, I forgot. Like Steve was the friend who made the playlist for me. He made this playlist of just all different tastes of K-pop, and I just put it on shuffle when I worked out. I'm like, I actually found a couple of songs I like. Just that note about Steve. He's the one who made that playlist and got me into it. I have exclusive taste. And last but not least, I'd love to introduce my drag sister, Buka K. Hello, distinguished panel of judges, literally Gaysians, and my family, fellow panelists. My name is Jack, and um, my favorite uh, K-pop act, since we've already gone through years past, including Dreamcatcher, as well as Girls' Generation, which is both of them are amazing as well. I'm going to talk about the current generation, which is the fourth generation. My current favorite act from the fourth generation right now is XG, which I'm repping my on my t-shirt right now. <laughs> Love wearing them the so much. Left, right, left, left right. right. The most obsessive thing that I've done as a K-pop stan was also kind of similar to Steve, but not being scammed. <laughs> but I was using my work connections to negotiate my way into a one-on-one meet and greet with Boa when she performed at the main stage at SF Pride back in 2009. <gasps> and uh, I, I was I there. I remember that. Yeah. I, I talked with the then executive director of SF Pride. Um, and I was also in charge of events marketing and media buying for a telecommunications company back in the day. And so I was leveraging all I can to get in with her. And at that point, I was like, yeah, I'm going to bring in my family, my friends, everyone come with me. And at that point, like the week before, they're like, hold up, you're not going to bring in the whole village. She's only going to meet with you and only for five minutes. Um, but that was still a very memorable five minutes and it's still a very much a core memory of mine you know in the pre-internet days it was jack who introduced me to so much k-pop i don't even know how you showed them to me i don't know if there were dvds vhs but you made me watch so many videos and uh i like learned to appreciate i didn't become a fan but i learned to appreciate it it was at any party that I was at, I would take over the playlist or like I have like a mixed CD. I would drop in and be like, this is going to turn into a K-pop party. And they're like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> so, yeah, that's also another obsessive, obsessive behavior of mine back in the day. So now that we met everyone and learned how they got scammed <laughs> and, or how obsessive they became about K-pop in the beginning, I want to ask you guys, just because you've heard from me and Chris already on this, like how did K-pop actually come into your lives? Darren's already talked about Girls' Generation, but from Girls' Generation, how did it blossom to like where you are with K-pop today? So you know how K-pop is divided into the big three? The big three what? The big three entertainment. So I'm not ranking them one 
one, two, and three. I just want to say the names: S Entertainment, JYP, and YG. And I am a SM Entertainment stand because I fell in love with Girl Generation first. And I see the evolution from how it went from just 2007 when Girl Generation just came out. It was just a boy band, boy male soloist world back then. They were like the only first girl, one of the girl groups that. Try to conquer and overcome just being a girl group. They get so much hate because they were gaining attention. Um, I don't know if you guys like Steve or Jerry remember the dream of the Hell You Wave, where they were performing and they were only like 19, 18 at that time, and all these fans from different boy bands stood up and like faced their backs against them and just what rejected them. While they the were performing. misogyny is real. It's really mind-blowing. And they still perform their hearts out, like, non-stop. And from then to now, I like how girl groups are almost treated as equally as boy bands, but not still the same. But it it has evolved a lot from 2007 till now. Would you say you favor girl groups over boy groups? I definitely do favor groups over boy groups. <laughs> <laughs> And Steve, how did K-pop come into your life before you got scammed? Before I got, I got scammed twice. I got scammed, <laughs> but that's for another, that's another story. Yeah, K-pop came into my life. I think back to as a kid, um, my mother would take me to the Korean market, and th- this is back in the '90s. And so they would have these like rows of televisions and VCRs just making copies of variety shows, and that's how. Um, we would take that piece of Korean pop culture back with us alongside, you know, tubs of kimchi. And we would uh, sit around the TV and we would watch these variety shows. And on one of these variety shows uh, is where I was introduced to this uh, girl group called SES. And, you know, I, oh, I, I yeah, that. that's that's how I knew what uh, Asian femme power looked like. You know, uh, it was so cute and I, it immediately resonated with me. And as it resonated with me, that's kind of like, it was one of those things where I realized like, oh, this is something that I, as a a boy living in a mostly straight white world, like I can't share this with my straight white friends, you know? And so um, they were all into Nirvana and I was into like secretly into SCS and Celine Dion. (laughs) Uh, And so like, you know, I always found, I always looked for like the little moments where I could share my love uh, of K-pop girlies whenever I could. And it was always weird because like growing up, whenever these moments came, I tried to fight the urge, right? To be like, oh my God, I love all this pink. I love all this glitter. <laughs> but once I like, I gave it, it would just come out like like a flood, you know, just like uh, Darren's have, would come in or, or Jack would come in via the playlist. I kind of like, it would all come, come out all at once and this like uncontrollable deluge. And then before you know, it, I'm just like, oh my God, they know I'm a total gay. <laughs> it's like you're coming out. That's how, yeah, that's how K-pop kind of came into my life. Yeah, it, it, it's all kind of entwined, this like hyper femme uh, sincerity uh, trying to emerge in 90s grunge flannel land. I'm just imagining all these, like, like the strict Korean guys you see in Beef trying to listen to, like, Pearl Jam, and you're like, listen to this, and it's, like, sparkly, like, funny how our dreams come. <laughs> it's one of my favorite K-pop songs still. <laughs> yeah, it's a recurring nightmare that even, like, with our uh, mutual friends, I still, like, freak out at the thought of them discovering uh, like certain playlists of mine that I'm, I'm hoping are private. It's it's your sexy time playlist, but it's all glittery K-pop. 
Uh, no, it's my crying playlist. It's my crying in the closet <laughs> playlist. It is my howling at the moon playlist. So, Jack, how about you? How did K-pop come into your life? Um, I think someone had already mentioned this earlier. Um, K-pop came into my life actually through J-pop. Utara Hikaru, First Love, um, in 1999 in high school. You know, all oh, the AZNs were just crazy for that song. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, if you're around that era, I'm you know what I mean. I'm still crazy for that song. Uh, and um, just kept following Utada. And then she released Distance. And uh, Distance had a few songs that were produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Um, if those who don't know, there are the producers for Janet Jackson. And I was really vibing with this kind of like Asian take on R&B. And I was looking for more of that. And then I found myself, you know, gravitating towards other Japanese artists like Crystal K who also is worth a listen. She is a half-Korean, half-Black artist that actually sings in Japanese and has dominated the charts back in the early 2000s as well. And through that, I found Boa, which I talked about during my intro. And Boa, I actually, even though she herself is a Korean artist that had made her way in the K-pop scene, uh, I found her through the J-pop scene, um, through her album, Listen to My Heart. Love that record, still bump that to this day, to the, to the point where I actually performed an English rendition that I rewrote myself at a high school assembly, which I hope no one finds a video of. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Oh, wow. Speak, speaking of brunch earlier, I was in a fishnet skeleton <laughs> sleeveless, and the performance included me. It was like a, a senior thesis for my dance class. I performed with my high school friend, uh, um, Alvira, and she was abusing me. And I created this whole entire musical number where I was just like, well, I need you to listen to my heart. <laughs> just for a little context, Jack and I went to the same high school. Not the same time. Oh, really? But oh. it was an academic high school. And that's not the kind of um, showiness that people typically offered to the rest of the class. So she was definitely uh, one of the bigger personalities there. Just from meeting you both, and you're both part of the Rice Rockettes, I would just figure there was a theater school. Because <laughs> <laughs> you guys are such big personalities. And you're in the same, you ended up in the same drag troupe. I mean, my love for J-pop and K-pop, the way that it kind of came about, like, it, talking about taking over playlists, like, I also used to lead warm-up classes for my dance class because they let students do that. And I would put in a CD, you know, you would go to Konekonia at Japantown and you would save all the money to buy the import version of the J-pop or K-pop album, because, you know, that's when it's real. You know, like, that's when you know you're a fan. You're buying that $50 CD. And I would, like, plug it into, you know, the Iowa Sony sound system. and be like, we're warming up to M-Flow. We're warming up to Crystal K. I know. Boa was really the start of my K-pop journey, because... From there, I ended up uh, finding out about Girls' Generation and also um, a, a little-known uh, group uh, at that point uh, in 2003 as well. Uh, There's a K-pop R&B group called Big Mama, and their song was Breakaway. And that really kind of sealed it for me. That Breakaway song, the, the singing, seeing powerful 
Asian women, Korean women singing full vocal with power. I was like, I was hooked. So Boa, Big Mama, and J-pop really was my entryway into K-pop. When Jack was talking about like 2003, I was like, is she going to talk about Big Mama? Is she going to talk about Big Mama? And she brought up Big Mama. And the thing is, right before this, I was listening to like one, they did like a reunion thing on a, a web show called Killing Voice, where it's just live singing. And they still have it. And their harmonies are so tight. Like their harmony, like they're not... Their their level of vocal performance is beyond even what is quote unquote good for K-pop. It's like we're talking like en vogue level here at this point. Like they're they're actual musicians. Like you know, like they're not just vocalists; they're singers. You know, and so also hilarious. Like Breakaway, their music video is notable because. Um, the first half of the video, you see these four conventionally beautiful women singing. And the second half, the camera goes backstage to reveal Big Mama, who are uh, who are women who do not fit the standard of beauty. Side note, so they're one of YG's earliest groups, right? And after YG would come 21, and after 21 would call, call Blackpink. And so YG, when YG had um, 21 out, uh, their CEO would often call them ugly, you know? And so YG has a history of, quote-unquote, uh, using, like, casting against Korean beauty standards at first until they finally got to Blackpink, in which case they just went for very conventionally uh, beautiful ladies. And so that's that's an interesting uh, little progression if you want to check it out. That's wild that you say that because I remember the exact moment that Jack introduced me to Big Mama. And we were just I just screamed. I'm like, it, it's like uh, Martha Wash. They, they had the front face and then the uh, behind the scenes face. And it was, it was amazing. It's weird. Uh, when I think back now to K-pop, I'm not necessarily a fan I have been I been forced into K-pop because I know the likes of all of you. I, I'm not going to say that um, it's a negative thing, but I have definitely been forced into K-pop. I mean, I've seen you forced into nobody. I've seen it. Mm-hmm, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the Rice Rockettes um, staple dance numbers is doing the Wonder Girls number and... Not always well, but we've done it like about 50 times. Y'all, y'all are still doing it in 2023. <laughs> if anything, I think we're part of the JYP. <laughs> I think we're part of JYP's uh, staple of talent now. <laughs> oh, my God. It's a classic. It's a classic. Okay, so fast forward to today. K-pop is even huger, uh, especially in queer Asian culture. How have you seen it grow specifically in the Gaijin scene? I think... When I first started coming out to West Hollywood in LA, 2011, I was 21 then. Because, you know, like, I I just also kind of came out. I, I was Googling gay Asian nights in LA, and then Rage came up. Ooh, she brought up the Rage. <laughs> so I, I went there, and surprisingly, they, they did play K-pop there. I was very, like, surprised because I didn't know... America would actually play um, Korean music. And then over the years, they would add more and more Korean music into the playlist before Rage closed down. And then now there's... Switch. Switch. 
that happens once a month in LA, and they play so much K-pop. There's a whole like K-pop floor. The second floor. Yeah, that's like a whole K-pop floor. I would I would stay the whole night, but then all my friends are like, "No, I want to go." <laughs> I know. I'm like having a fun time. Then I look behind, and like all my friends are ready to go back downstairs. Yeah, I went downstairs. Went back to chapel. <laughs> Yeah, well, Ray's Game Boy, I remember they always saved um, Brown Eyed Girls, Abacadabra, until the oh, end. Oh, yes. And when you hear that, like, that first, like, few notes, so, like, the synth, and everyone just, like, <laughs> yes. goes crazy. I don't remember other K-pop that they played, probably because I was just wasted. But I do remember, like, like I mean, I feel like the three songs I always remember from Rage is Brown Eyed Girls, Abracadabra, Kelly Clarkson since you've been gone. <laughs> that was like the last call song. And then Fetty what Fetty Legrand. No, no, no. What is a satisfaction person? Fetty Banasi. People do not like cancel me. But I feel like those are the three songs that I kind of always remember. Like they always put it in rotation. Speaking about Game Boy, there was a lot of sense memory because in a side conversation that Steve and I had in the DMs in preparation for this podcast, we were talking about Boa being at Game Boy in late 2008. And she was promoting her album as well as premiering a new music video at Rage, at Game Boy. And for those of you who don't know what Game Boy is or was, Game Boy is an, um, and was a queer, uh, gay, um, Asian and Pacific Islander party that happened in West Hollywood uh, at a club called The Rage. And um, I remember also in college, I remember all of us, like, especially I used to dance in at Berkeley with like True Element and stuff like that. And we would take trips down to LA because we knew that was where they were going to play K-pop music. Um, and um, and I, I remember it being such a fond memory of like, this is where we're going to find our community. This is where if we see someone doing a dance, we know they pass the vibe check. As much as we were talking about in the earlier <laughs> at the circuit party where Darren is in the back doing like a K-pop <laughs> dance move to like a random oh music. Like, I would be the person going like, even though the song is not playing, you're doing this dance move? Oh my God, yes, we're going to vibe. We're going to party. And that scene at Game Boy when they were the first club, especially a gay club, to really champion K-pop music as part of the career community and seeing a bunch of people kind of like knowing the moves and being together, that was a really big sense of community for me. I remember experiencing that such like, you know, there's so much, you know, about joy when you experience things, especially as marginalized groups. There's terms of, you know, black black magic and stuff like that. But as, as an Asian myself, going to Rage and seeing K-pop being played and a community of people dancing to the same music, knowing the dance move, that was pure Asian and Pacific Islander magic for me. Um, and, and I remember also, I was like, oh, it means a lot where my idol, like Boa, would come to a space like Rage and Game Boy to actually talk to the queer community to premiere a music video. I wasn't even living in LA. I made, I knew she was going to be there. <laughs> and so I remember going to there and Steve and I talked about that as well. And I'm like, I kind of blacked out. <laughs> um, but that was a really core memory for me as well. Kind of seeing a big K-pop, J-pop idol for me 
being in a queer space and, and and making it a point to sort of like talk to the community and know the fact that we also are big fans of her was really, really heartwarming for me and is still very much a core like memory for me. You know, what I also found wild was Boa being at Rage and at San Francisco Pride is that she brought so many straight Asian folks into these spaces. And I thought that was a huge deal and very exciting. It was so bizarre because I was there too. And like, remember, I remember like Solange finishing up her set and I look over and I see like this like group of like young Koreans who look very straight come up. And I was just thinking, because it was on a Sunday, it's like, did church just let out? Is service done? Is that why they're here? Do they know someone I know? Do I need to run? Do I need to stay by blend in? I don't know. So I remember that being a weird moment. I remember Boa, you know, she did her thing. She's obviously a great performer, but <laughs> the, the banter was very awkward. And she was like, I'll eat you up. But was that the song that it was her English, quote unquote, English album, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> She was like, hello, San Fran. And then I'll eat you up. Mm, mm, mm. Do, 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 do. Oh, I do remember also telling my friends that I really want to go see BOA because the abbreviation is capital B, lowercase o, capital A. And people are like, wait, you're going to Bank of America? Like, <laughs> I was like, no. <laughs> her name is a backronym, meaning it was, Boa is her actual name, but they turned it backwards into various um, acronyms to suit whatever she's supposed to be uh, representing at the moment. At one point it meant, it also meant Beat of Angels. And I was like, okay. Can we talk about an abbreviation fail in the K-pop scene that is actually very queer to me? BTS. Their initial abbreviation was Boys to Search for Top. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) And then they became Beast. They became Beast. Um, But their initial abbreviation... Oh, my God. Whoa, I didn't know that. That's very unfortunate. <laughs> That's gonna be my new my new grinder profile name. <laughs> Steve, what how have you seen K-pop grow in the Gaijin scene? I mean, I think like uh both Darren and Jack and you've all ta- touched on it's just seeing how much of it gets played in um places of gay congregation. And I think one thing I think that a lot of gay male communities can kind of like relate to is kind of like the the diva worship that tends to happen i think in gay male uh, cult communities and now we have more visible signs of you know asian um, divas that we can throw our dollars uh shirts and energy towards you know um Back then, you know, Bo was a, a major focal point. You know, Utada were major fo- major focal points. And now we have more, you know, and because K-pop is such a visual medium uh, and that because it's so choreographic uh, and that the fandom kind of normalizes doing these dances in public, you just see a lot of like gay queer Asians idolizing literally Korean or Asian femininity in a very public way. And I guess masculinity too, but eh, whatever. <laughs> So it's just you just see a lot more of it, and you see a lot more people participate in a very public and visible way. Where I first 
realized that well k-pop's a thing was when i was in asia in 2018 and i was in bangkok and there's this one club where i forgot the name of the club oh it's in silom 2 yeah yeah and, <laughs> and i was with a friend and they played mamamoo hip and i'm like wait k-pop sounds like this now because i just thought it was like bubbly and just like like too cutesy like as darren said i'm like k-pop sounds like this now like it's jazzy it's very interesting but the musicality is crazy but then there's like a stage of just gay guys who knew the choreo? And if you knew it, you just go up there. And I just got, I got a hint there. I'm like, wow, K-pop is like actually big. Like I, you know, like sometimes you need to feel like the energy around the music to kind of get it. And it started clicking a little bit. Actually, Steve, when we were at Seoul, we were in Seoul together, and we went to this club King. And then like that that stage was real, really filled with like if you knew the choreo to the song, go up and do it. And I was like, oh, this is so like. And it was all the the girl girl band music. Yeah, and they were always offbeat. <laughs> they were shady. Whoa. No, but there, there was always like the main guy. Like maybe the guy gets paid or something. But th- there's like one guy who's really good. Um, and I just love that. It was like, oh, it's a way for these Asian men to like perform or express their queerness. And I feel like that's something that like I don't I don't know if people talk about enough because in a preparation for this, I was trying to figure out like, is there a Asian K-pop researcher? And I did find some research, but it's all around the boy bands. Like the queerness is around how like gender norms are performed or, or broken and shattered with the boy bands. No mention of the girl bands. And I feel like particularly in our kind of gay male cis world, the diva worship is probably like the closer thing that I feel like the, to the vibe to like, at least what I see in my community around K-pop. If I may add, interestingly enough, there is actually an obsession with girl crush amongst girl groups in K-pop, but it's very much insular within people who know about the fandom. I would love to call out, you know, Amber from FX. She herself presented uh, in the group as a very tomboy aspect of the group, and she still plays into that as a solo artist now. Uh, Even you were talking about Mamamoo, there's uh, Mubion from uh, that group is also like very much like lesbianized. as well by the fandom as well to the point even we were talking about blackpink as well i just recently saw a meme about like oh this member has this boyfriend this member has this boyfriend and rose is uh, uh, affiliated with a queer rainbow flag there is a lot of talks within the fandom Mm. of rose um being a lesbian and so unless you really tap into that sort of fandom i'm not saying any of this is true this is all alleged i don't want to be canceled um but there is a lot of talks um amongst the girl groups um within the fandoms about who is a lesbian all of that stuff and it is very interesting the sort of like gender roles and the the subversing of gender roles when it comes to kind of like female groups and who presents as a female versus the commoditization of girl crush and lesbianic sort of queer baiting you know, that's probably a whole entire differently, like different episode. But yeah, the whole between girl groups and boy groups, like the queer baiting and sort of gender role and the ways that it kind of comes into play in the commoditization of them as a consumable good is very interesting. Yeah, my entire, um, the section that I prepared for Be Real is about kind of that. I think it's so interesting when, especially with like Boomgod or with Amber, I feel like, you know, i sure they, you know, present how they want to present. But with Rosé, that's such an interesting case that that's emerged because there was a very specific incident where uh, it kind of went viral where a fan walked up to uh, Rosé and asked her, like, hey, do you support queer rights? And, like, 
Rose can't respond because that's a political statement. And as an, we don't know where she stands on things. She, you know, lives in Korea, which tends to be a lot more conservative. So she just kind of does this, you know, <laughs> and she, she makes a rock and roll sign. And that's still ambiguous, right? So I'm like, so like, I'll talk more about it later. But like, I, I think it's so interesting how different fandoms from different uh, parts of the globe uh, kind of imprint onto individuals and why do they imprint on these specific individuals and that's always an interesting one maybe for amber was the most interesting case because she was the only one that looks the most tomboy and i think she opened up about how that she she goes to like a girl's bathroom and then some girls would be like why are you here shouldn't you like be in the men's toilet instead of Mm. the girl's toilet oh it's fucked up and she just like was very shook about it, but she really left the company, and she's you know she's still doing her. And I think she did open about it in an article, but this was a long time ago after she left SM Entertainment. So, and if you didn't catch that, don't you? Rose is actually one of the members of Blackpink, not Vince. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, Rose is the color red, so uh, you just gotta give me that. Give me that. <laughs> and I color love the rouge. <laughs> so like i think for anyone who's more interested in i think uh entertainers in the k-pop idol world who present who kind of play with gender in a very explicit or clear clear way there's also to one from um 2 a.m who does a lot of drag performances um i think and this is before K-pop became particularly big. There was, you know, an out trans woman performer by the name of Harisu, who, um, you know, started off as a model and then became a singer uh, and experienced a, you know, pretty decent amount of success as an entertainer. Yeah. Um, so these are also performers that you might want to check out. Links in the show notes below. Is that what you guys say? Yeah. Yeah, if I may, even Boa um, actually did a duet with a Chinese artist, her song Better, that was released in Korea and then did a, uh, a, a duet version in Mandarin with a uh, who I believe to be born as female, but a very tomboy artist. So, um, so yeah, there's a lot of interplay of gender when it comes to sort of like K-pop and its relationship to commodifying it for international markets, which I know Steve, you alluded to, we'll talk about it uh, hopefully later, but it's actually really interesting because yeah, there's a lot of it at play, but I think a lot of the people that know K-pop at the surface or even just uh, is just a casual fan of K-pop see a lot of queer baiting coming out of male bands, which is very much true. But for people who are very much deep in it, which we are, um, there is a lot of queer coding in a lot of the girl bands of years past as well as in now, which, you know, this would be a totally different episode if we go into it. But it's it's very interesting, especially uh, I don't want to age myself in the decades of fandom that I've participated in in (laughs) K-pop. It's very interesting to see the queerness and how it is expressed across both girl groups and uh, boy groups as well. At the same time, it's also an American perspective of it. Like sometimes you hear about like, oh, you know, the, the that boy group, they all look so gay. But that's just that's it's not it's considered gay in, in in Korean culture. That's more of an American lens. What is considered, you know, acceptable homosocial behavior? It differs from uh, 
you know, culture to culture where, so when you look at behavior that in Korea would be like platonic and homosocial, uh, but from a Western lens would be viewed as homosexual and then the fandom kind of runs with it, then that's, there's a, I think there's a lot of like, that makes me uncomfortable at times. Um, so yeah. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, now we're going to hit you with the da-da-da-da debate, and we're going to keep it friendly. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you and I are going to lob some questions about your taste in K-pop, and we're going to da-da-da-da debate it. Oh, Are you God. guys ready? <laughs> I wasn't ready. I'm ready. I'm, I'm still ready. reeling from the pun. Such masterful <laughs> wordplay. Okay, that's not that's not 21. Don't you? That's like that's a black thing. But first topic. First topic. What is the most underrated K-pop? song or act and i'm gonna start with you first jack my most underrated k-pop act is after school um (laughs) they they really came up uh and had a really big song with because of you love that song but the tenacity and the concepts that they came out with, even after Because of You, like, let's talk about it. Bang did a drum line. They performed at live performances in a drum line. Shampoo, they did tap dancing, learned tap dancing, did it in live performances. First Love, athletic pole dancing. And then even the leader, Kahi, who actually used to be a backup dancer for BOA uh, for three years before um, she actually got into a K-pop group, which is S-Blush, a Korean-American group that was, um, you know, disbanded. And then she got into after school. The amount of dedication and the things that they did with every comeback was freaking amazing. And they never charted... Um, after, like, because of you. They charted enough, but I don't think they got the level of respect that they should have received for the amount of artistry, tenacity, and practice in everything that they did in every comeback, after school, all day, every day, most underrated K-pop act. I agree. Do you agree that they're the most underrated? Was that, was that your choice too, Darren? It wasn't my choice, but it's, they are one of the most underrated because of the concept 
that they, they keep switching members every comeback. And so Wait, fans, what? Yeah, they keep bringing in new members every year or so. Oh. And so it's like Menudo. They just change members all the time. <laughs> and they've been going on for like 30 years. Or Destiny's Child. They didn't use the fact that they were changing members because the concept of after school was they were always like, there's going to be members who would graduate like school. Right. We would graduate uh, every uh, like members. Uh, and with every new concept, it wasn't used as an excuse. Oh, this new member didn't do shit. Like, oh, they yeah, came yeah. in with fire every comeback, even with a new lineup. And it's not like a total new lineup. There's one or two members that would right. be added in, and it was freaking fire every time they came back. Anyways. Right, <laughs> yeah. No, 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 that was that way, yeah. My bad. Because I read an article that Kai was telling the agency that they should stop adding members every comeback because it does confuse the fans not because they weren't doing their best but she did this she did tell the ceo that you need to stop doing this because it's not good for the fan darren's stopping the goss <laughs> yeah what about you darren yeah what's your most underrated k-pop song or act uh i think my most underrated k-pop act would be in the global scale would be red velvet because because, you know, they are labeled as the big three. They are from S Entertainment, which is one of the big threes that South Koreans usually refer to. And they're not getting the same amount of love as Twice from JYP and Blackpink from YG. <clears throat> I think because, like, they, they have all these different concepts, right? Their red side, which is more of their more playful, childish side albums. Their velvet side, which is more their mature side. And then they have their red velvet side, which is like both combined. And sometimes people would not understand their red velvet side. Like, if someone Google a YouTube Zims album, they're like, WTF, I don't understand what this, what this music video is about. But if you see, like, Blackpink is girl crush, only girl crush music, EDM, hard-hitting songs. Twice is, like, mostly cutesy for, like, 90% of their careers. And then recently, they released more mature and charismatic songs. Whereas Red Velvet released all three concepts in one year, which I don't get bored of. But I think maybe people like to... Maybe stay within one range. I I don't know, but I think they're very underrated because they 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 can do all three concepts really well. For Red Velvet, that was my gate one of my gateway songs to K-pop. It was in the playlist that Steve made, Bad Boy. And I like so is that the more mature okay. side? Yeah. Is that the more mature side? The velvet yeah. side. Are we supposed to debate? Because I got thoughts on both of y'all's. Or I could just move on to mine. Or we could continue with Darren. Let's hear your thoughts, Steve. Yeah. You want to hear my thoughts? Okay. Yeah. Well, now that it's a debate. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, I think my fellow panelists bring up a couple of interesting points. And you know what? Let's uh, point out the things about them that are valid. You know, I do think after school on, from like an international standpoint, probably doesn't, isn't recognized for, you know, the amount of work that Kahi, their their original leader, had to put in. Because not only was she 
of their lead performer. She was also their trainer in a lot of ways, right? And yeah, they definitely did a lot of really interesting things. Yeah, but at the same time, Bye. I feel like you know, they got their <laughs> druthers. They got their druthers while they were active, you know? Yeah. And then with Red Velvet, I, I see Darren's point that, you know, they're not as popular as their, their contemporaries. But I guess what I'm struggling to understand is how they're underrated, because I think they're actually fairly well recognized by the broader fandom. Uh, and, you know, like, you know, they're very talented. I think there's not a lot of dispute about that. Now, whether or not their success is uh, like commensurate or like proportionate to their talent is a different story because mm-hmm. I one of my hot takes is that I think a lot of the K-pop fandom does not care about talent that much. You know, it's a lot about Ooh. the production, which is, you know, mm. if you thought what you like, that's what you like. <laughs> the real answer to this question is Dreamcatcher. Dreamcatcher mm. is the most underrated group. And let me tell you why Dreamcatcher is underrated. One, I do love uh, them too. <laughs> Dreamcatcher is underrated because literally, despite their talent uh, and their perseverance, you know, they, they are now gaining some recognition, but they're virtually unknown in Korea itself. And while they have a fervent, uh, they now have a fervent following, they're very much niche. In addition to the fact that they just are literally, you know, underrated because uh, they just aren't having success commensurate with their effort. I think they accomplished a few things that are super rare in K-pop. One thing that's super rare in K-pop is a group that actually has a sound, okay? A lot of groups Ooh. jump between different sounds. You know, um, you can't, you don't really identify a group unless you know their voices, which is kind of rare because most timbres kind of fall into a K-pop melange, um, or <laughs> because you follow them. Dreamcatcher has a sound from from their initial revamp when they came together as Dreamcatcher. They oh decided God. that hey, we have a sound. It's gonna be every uh, anime opening wet dream. It is J rock. It is prog rock. It is pop punk. It is EDM. But they always keep that electric guitar. The girls commit. to a, a, sub, a subgenre that is not popular in Korea. And on top of that, that I think you are now seeing um, the fruits of their labor emerge in other parts of K-pop. Recently, there's a popular group called G-Idol, or Aide, um, that Idol. has kind of like capitalized on their pop-punk sound that was popularized first by Dreamcatcher. And this is why Dreamcatcher is the most underrated. Thank you. <gasps> I'm now open for cross-examination, although I will be correct. I know you're oh. not taking, Ready? I know you're not taking any questions. <laughs> but may I ask, did you like G-Idol coming after Queendom? Or before that? Um, I don't really like G Idol that much. <gasps> what? I'm neutral on them. I'm neutral on okay. them. I just, you you brought up G Idol. I just wanted to ask because I remember they were a part of the contestants doing Queendom. Is it season one? My, my favorite you know Queendom one. contestants you know were Lovelies. <laughs> And they got oh, trapped. Okay, they, well, they were so bad. Get <laughs> you your opinions, and I'll mute myself. They did not do well on the show. They, I think they tried to be sexy, but that's not their forte. 
Well, Dreamcast, I remember once, Steve, we were uh, drunk and you were just showing me a bunch of different, <laughs> you were doing the, <laughs> the auxiliary chord thing, just showing me a bunch of different <laughs> K-pop videos. Like, because this is this during the playlist era, you made the playlist. Is Dreamcatcher sort of like the Evanescence sort of K-pop yeah. group? Yeah. Okay. Because I remember the, yeah. like, this is like the, K- the Evanescence of K-pop. And you're like, I'm so sorry. Yeah, sure. I just want to make sure I heard that correctly. Did you just say the evanescence of K-pop? Yeah. Yeah. I think they, they are. <laughs> I don't have enough alcohol for this. <laughs> I do want to point out. I do want to point out that uh, that K-rock and like obviously like Korean music expands beyond K-pop, right? And with K-pop, it's mostly like idol performers. But yes, in the poppy world of K-pop, uh, they're the Paramore. I think they're more akin to Paramore than they are to Evanescence. Okay. Uh, okay. But, for for yeah. for me, as the stupid one. What is an idol performer? So, um, okay, so, oh so everyone's rolling their eyes idol. at me. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think an idol. Uh, I actually have notes on this. Uh, an idol <laughs> is like an enter uh, an entertainer who um, is usually very young, usually a teen or a young adult, and is usually um, kind of like uh, goes through a, like a training, and it is. Uh, works under the auspices and directions of a larger agency, you know, and they're more about the entertainment, about the craftsmanship, and maybe less concerned with the actual artistry of of uh, creating music, not to diminish their accomplishments or their efforts. But, you know, they're, um, they're, you know, young people who sing and dance and kind of like fit into the mold of a teen idol. Um, hmm. Take on it. Do you they're an entertainer. They're an entertainer. They're an entertainer, Yes. Yeah, okay. All right. That 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 explains a lot for me. So here we go. Welcome. Here it goes. Here it goes. Who is your most overrated K-pop song or act? Let's uh you know what? Let's just continue with you, Steve. <laughs> no, I was gonna wait to see how how hard they went. I was going to match a mirror because if we're going to get canceled, we have to get canceled together. We need you to be canceled. We need you to be canceled. Steve, who who is your most overrated K-pop summer act? Every single boy band. That is my answer. Every single boy band is overrated. Because they benefit from the patriarchy. They don't have to work as hard as the ladies. Every single boy band. Nah, but they get more. They get more for less. I'm not trying to cancel you, Steve, but does BTS fall underneath your definition of overrated boy oh, bands? Oh, definitely does. They definitely do. I am not going to point <laughs> to any single actor group because oh, I want to oh. be able to walk down the street without being, you know, <laughs> like insulted. <laughs> but I will say, men in general are an overrated act. You know, I, if I overrate, I mean, like, I feel like. Their success, um, you know, it's a little skewed higher than I think it, it should be as a whole. And I think I extremely agree with Steve by asking mm-hmm. whether or not it is generational. Were there were you more into boy bands during Gen One, Gen Two, or even Gen Three? I was never into boy bands. Uh-huh. I was She's never a into boy bands. Pure interesting here. Yeah, Steve doesn't enjoy male vocals. <laughs> Got this it. is largely Got true. It. There's like one male vocalist that I like, and that's about it. Who is it? At least in K-pop. 
Uh, his name is Juani. He's part of a little uh, duo called Fly to the Sky. He's got like this booming, smoky baritone. He also sky. has like a really extensive upper range. So it's just like that's what I want. Not yeah, but everyone yeah. Uh, that's my case. Okay. I'm with you on that. I shared a Spotify playlist with a friend, and it was an R&B playlist, and it was open to add, and I got so upset at him when he started putting male R&B vocals in there. This was clearly an all-female vocals R&B playlist, <laughs> yes. and I, I, I don't listen to it anymore. It's terrible. Next person. Who, who wants, wants to go, to go next? Who, who feels strongly... Well, I I can't I can go next. I I wouldn't say a K-pop act, but a K-pop song that I feel okay. very overrated. I'm so excited. BTS Dynamite. It's literally everywhere <laughs> for the longest time ever, and I think they had better songs. Like before Dynamite, they had really good songs. And after Dynamite, kind of like. <gasps> I love that song. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I can't. Um, I really love Blast Red and Tears. Butter was good, and, but I just couldn't get into Dynamite. But I do agree with Steve that I think boy bands have it easier than girl bands, for sure. Mm. Girl bands need to do more than boy bands, 100%. Uh, so I know you represent... Um, like different music artists, is it harder to represent male versus female um, artists? I think it's harder to represent female artists because, oh. like, whatever, it's just like, it's just like, um, if they're wearing the wrong outfit, they may seem promiscuous. But if the boys are wearing the same level, it's okay. You know, even in America, it's like it's like that too. Misogyny. So it's just like misogyny at the finest, and it's kind of annoying when I witness it in person too. And it's like I, I was like, this is what the studies wants them to wear. Jack, who's your most overrated? Let's see where this goes. Uh, yeah, uh, this has nothing to do with the acts or songs that come mm-hmm. out of this agency. But I feel the the most overrated agency is YG. I'm I'm saying the I agree. I agree. <laughs> they have fucked over every artist. Yeah, they have fucked over every artist just because Twenty One didn't hit a number one. They told them that they were going to be like disbanded. Like Big Mama was also disbanded. Now I'm glad that they are part of it. And then look at the mess that's happening with the. Um, is Lisa going to sign or not? Like, why is that even news? Mm-hmm. Like, pink. I'm glad they mm-hmm. do a lot of talent production. And yes, but even with like, let's just talk about this. YG was about to, I guess, announce the fact that they're going to do contract negotiations with Blackpink. And Baby Monster was not even close to debuting. And they did a whole entire reality series about Baby Monster as their new group to cover their asses in case Blackpink doesn't resign. What is happening Mm. with Baby Monster right now? No single, no performances, all of that stuff. There's a lot of fanfare for YG for no entire reason. And maybe an unpopular, you know, K-pop opinion is, I wish Lalisa... Lisa from Blackpink doesn't resign with Blackpink. Let me be clear. I'm a big Blink oh. fan. I'm a mm. big Blink 
I'm a big blink. Let me just say, tell you this. But she the blocked? amount of mishandling of talent with YG and their talent pool, I'm like, YG in and of itself as an entertainment sort of company and management sort of entity is totally overrated. Ooh. I what agree. Responses? Oh, everyone agrees. Ooh, I agree. Wait, I don't... I'm not, wait, I'm just... I think you bring up some interesting points. I mean, I feel like he he, he should he should treat the artists better too. Like, mm. it's just it's just crazy how what's have, what's happening right now with Blackpink. It, it, it sounds a lot like the um, the U.S. like music industry from like. Like decades ago, they 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 call these shots, and they're just shitty to so many people. I mean, still are, still are. All right, it's time to be real—the part of every episode where we talk about whatever's on our hearts or minds, and because this is. The special K-pop episode. I'm going to ask a specific Be Real questions just to our guests, which is, what is a complicated or tough feeling that you have about K-pop? And Jack, I think I'm going to start with you. Let's be real about K-pop. Knowing my, I guess, love of K-pop and the amount of investment that I've had in K-pop, I've also understood the history of where K-pop sort of got born out of and if we're talking about generation one which is the first generation of k-pop which is more for those that you don't know the first gen of k-pop is 1996 era so like early 2000s a lot of it was influenced by rmp culture and hip-hop and stuff like that there is still a level of appropriation of black culture Mm. in k-pop that makes me feel mm-hmm. very uncomfortable mm-hmm. uh, as recent yeah. as you know as much as i'm wearing the shirt xg kokona being in braids yeah. and not knowing stuff and stuff like that and i still consume k-pop with the knowledge and the respect of knowing um and respecting black culture from where it, it was born from and where it's pulling from and also as a fan, making sure that I'm not just blindly consuming Black culture from a Korean lens. Mm-hmm. And so I, I still need to check myself around the fandom. And like to be true, Blackpink's still doing that. All of these boy bands mm-hmm. are still doing that. Yeah. So I'm still very conflicted about it. But also K-pop is also very much a melting pot of all of these different... Um, musical influences and cultural influences, which is what make K-pop such an addictive and interesting sort of like experience from a fan perspective. And it's not even from black culture now. They're like in, like we were just talking about JYP, like, hey, we're going to start a K-pop band from, you know, recruiting members from the US. Like let's recruit a blonde white member and like all of that stuff. Mm. And so a lot of the questions that I have in my mind right now is who gets to perform K-pop? Who gets mm-hmm. to say that I am doing K-pop? 
Um, and I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. But that's something that's sticking out in my mind in regards to cultural appropriation and the history of where K-pop has resulted in where we understand it now as a melting pot of all these different cultures and also holding them accountable that saying like, hey, these appropriation is not okay. Yeah. So I, I feel like that the early days of K-pop, which is what made me dislike it was that it all seems so derivative, but like you said, it's, it, it's all of those things. But I feel like in the modern times, they're creating culture now. Yeah, no, I, and I, I hear you on XG. Remember, I think like a couple of weeks ago they released a video and like we were just chatting about it, Jack. I'm like, thank God she's not in braids. <laughs> we're just like, like oh, the thank amount goodness. of fucking cornrows on these men. Yeah, and then we were at Coachella, the, the Coachella the second week, and I'm like, with Jenny's look, I'm like, those braids, I guess. But I, I was like, it took me like a good tw- 15 or like 20 minutes to like be able like let's just get out of the appropriation thing and just like try to enjoy this but still it's just it's something that just always keeps coming up but also just to, and i'll make it i'll make this quick reading the comments in youtube and stuff like that there are fandom from black culture and from black twitter and what have you that are saying that it's not an issue so i also need to check myself am i policing a culture that's not mine that mm. other people who are coming from Black culture and from those who Koi Pop is appropriating from saying, I'm glad that we're getting a platform where our style and our culture is being received in a positive manner. And they're not, you know, they're not doing blackface, you know, thankfully. Mm. But like, and so I'm also on the flip side of that, I'm also checking myself. I'm like, am I over policing? And so, you know, that's kind of like the real factor of this conversation. I'm like, yes, I also come from a standpoint of making sure that marginalized people aren't being taken advantage of. But if I'm seeing from the fandom that they are okay with it, then maybe it's okay. But who am I? I, I can't make that judgment, right? So that's the push and pull of it. Darren's. what is a complicated or tough feeling that you have on K-pop? <sighs> I think... A really tough thing I have on K-pop is definitely mental health because um, uh, it's a really big topic because um, two of this K-pop artists that were from this really big bands I follow, uh, Jonghyun from Shiny and Sally from FX, they both committed suicide and they were only like 27, 25 at that time. They were really young. Uh, one thing from the article that shook me was that he was telling a news reporter that the doctor was blaming his personality to not shake this depression away and in my head i'm just like i don't know how you can shake depression away without having a professional help guiding you this idol started their ex uh, started their career when they were like 13 and the amount of pressure and hate from how to do better being a performer from people who are not even performers, like millions of people who are not even performers, and you're reading comments. Like, I can't understand, but they're feeling the pressure for like all these years. And I think Jonghyun from Shiny was saying, I've been feeling this pressure for 10 years. After Sally and Jonghyun commit suicide, the K-pop industry finally took an action to 
do better and take care of their artist's mental health, which I think is really important because uh, during COVID, not someone I'm close with, but someone that I knew also committed suicide because he was depressed and couldn't convey his feelings about what he was going through. And I'm just really happy that, that the community is actually bringing awareness to this after not just Sully's and Jonghyun's stuff, because there is many more after that, but I'm just happy that they are providing the artists what they need to help get through whatever they're going through. Yeah, it seems like really hard for these essentially child stars, just like in America too, to have these amplified feelings and to not live a, I guess, common life like others and to be always in the spotlight with so much pressure. And it's, it's shitty. It's shitty. It's just a lot, especially if you're like, like Sully, she was 11 when she started working as a child actress. And from then she debuted in the girl group. And then I don't know how all this child actor actresses deal with all that pressure. Yeah, and this doesn't seem to be like anyone on their side um, advocating for them. So, Steve, you're the last one. Um, what is a complicated, tough feeling that you have about K-pop? Yeah, okay. So, um, this so this is a little messy. Norm, normally, I'm an extremely articulate and well-spoken <laughs> person, but, you know, I'm going to be a little bit uh, looser with this. Some of these things that I'm about to point out, might sound like conservative conservative talking points and other points might directly contradict things. I think there's a lot of things that I feel about this one particular topic. It's a complicated feeling. Yeah, huh. I will exfoliate these feelings off of me for you exfoliate. in real time. Mm. Okay. So the main thing is I feel very uneasy about how casually and flippantly fans will kind of imprint or cast a sexuality onto a performer so and it's usually not done with malice right they're usually saying like oh she's so like this is so sapphic and they mean it in in a way that they they enjoy it right the the fans are progressive support queer rights or queer themselves and are looking for you know for themselves in these performers and given what i was talking about i don't think that's a bad thing however when it's done very publicly and on mass I think people forget that, you know, this international progressive casting of someone as or quoting of someone as queer, that person, we don't know what the, how they identify. Um, and they live in a society that is far more conservative. And so I think I don't think it always plays out. And maybe I think I'm like worrying too much about it. But it's a, the idea that like uh, the international progressive community is making their favorite idols targets for homophobia locally, you know? And I think that's, I'm not saying that's necessarily what's happening, but whenever some, like, someone who isn't as attuned to Korean culture just kind of, like, says, oh, she's so gay, I love it, I always makes makes me wonder, like, is she? <laughs> you know, like, maybe <laughs> she is. And on the, uh, on the flip side, like, then I think, like, you know, whether someone is or isn't queer, I feel like it's not right for someone to kind of take away a chance to speak for themselves, you know, and to speak for them. Because, you know, declaring something about yourself 
um, however you declare it, is a personal thing. You know, now I'm going to on the flip side, I also understand that because Korea is a, a conservative society, you know, um, there might be queer artists who are trying to signal things, but can't necessarily say it outright. But then, like, there are ones who I think are doing it pretty clearly. And in those cases, I'm just like, whatever, people are going to say what they're going to say. But then there are cases where I'm like, actually, like, when someone is like holding hands or acting very affectionately to someone of the same sex, it might be completely platonic in you know their eyes, but interpreted otherwise through another cultural lens. And so I, there's no call for action here. It's, but it's something I always kind of talk about with friends when they're when they kind of like casually say it. Where I'm just like, hey, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong, but. I just think it's important to be aware of the fact that these performers, even though they're um, perceived internationally, they live locally and where they live is very different. And I think it hits hard for me particularly because I think about like there's a very particular strain of homophobia that I experienced growing up in like Korean American communities where the last thing I wanted to do was do anything that could be perceived that way um, or give me away or out me before I was ready. Maybe it's me, just me projecting, but I'm always just kind of like wary when there's like a video on YouTube being like so-and-so being gay for five minutes. And I'm like, she's just eating. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just general celebrity culture and all the things that we expect of people. It's shitty, yeah. but we all do it. We all do it. I feel like it's also intentional from the artist marketing team. Like they know that they're going to get that conversation and it helps. And sometimes it's baiting, which I think is also iffy. But like to yeah. your point, like I think of like some of like the people, like it, it, like in American society, when we used to kind of like publicly say, oh, so-and-so is gay, but you know, um, they weren't or whatnot. Like, um, like I feel like, oh, we, we shouldn't have taken that away from them. We shouldn't like, we shouldn't force someone to declare sexuality, you know? Um, so that's my take. All right. That's all the time that we have for today. So thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and also potentially getting doxxed by the K-pop <laughs> <laughs> So thank you, Jack. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Darren. Okay. So to send all of you off, um, we're going to ask you one final question. What's the perfect song to start exploring K-pop for any newbies? I would pick I Swear by Sistar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no yes. comments. Yeah. No comments. Oh, you want to do this going? move? You want to do this move? <laughs> you know, I don't even know any of the moves. I just, it's just a brilliant song. Darren, what's your, what's your send off? I want to say for, especially for this generation, 50-50 Cupid. <laughs> Jack Bukake, what's your send-off? My song would be Left Right, remix XG. by XG with Sierra. Yes, Sierra. One, That's two, so step good. Sierra. Plus Jackson Wang. We saw that with Coachella. It was Coachella. It was so I get good. wet when I watch that video. <laughs> Where can everyone follow you on your socials if they want to find you and, you know, send hate mail to you? <laughs> you can't. 
they can't. I'm not on the socials. If you can find me, and if I accept you, it's uh, Instagram at K I N G L C H O I, which is King L Choi. And it also has been a pleasure to talk to everyone here today. I can't believe that I had this amount of wealth of knowledge that I could geek out with. And well, not for be... me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, thank you so much for literally Asians. Like y'all have been doing amazing work and it's been a pleasure to be on with y'all as well as with this, uh, um, like group of panelists today. I, I, I'm so geeked out. I'm probably going to go out into the living room to talk to my husband about K-pop. And it's Yay. almost 11 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> and Darren, where can we find you? I can find you on my TikTok, DLKL90, if you want to send any DMs. <laughs> uh, but, but also, I my group of friends don't know anybody but Blackpink and New Jeans at the moment. So I'm glad I, I'm able to talk about other girl groups. And since the second and first generation, so I'm really happy for this podcast. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. And even though I'm in that group, I know the Seraphim. I just don't know the members. We're <laughs> <laughs> not to say the name. Stop talking group. It's not the only group. Wait, Sakura. One of them is one? Jennifer. Sakura. One of them is Jennifer. Sakura. Jennifer. All right, all right. Well, you, you can follow us at Literally Gaysians on TikTok and Instagram. And you can join us in a few weeks for another episode. Till then, listen to your favorite K-pop song. Bye. Bye. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.